Just One More with Joanna and Daphne, a fitness and nutrition podcast for normal people who want to be more awesome. If you have trouble deciding between Just One More Cupcake and Just One More Kettlebell Swing, this is the podcast for you. I'm Joanna Shawflam. I'm an actor, a comedian, and a normal person. And before we begin, remember to talk to your doctor or medical practitioner before starting any workout or nutrition plan. You'll notice that I didn't introduce Daphne because she's not here. And the reason she isn't here is that I am on location with uh, with our guest today, uh, Dr. Amanda Kroll. Hi, Amanda. Hello. Thanks for coming on My the show. Um, so when we have guests, I often start uh, by asking an impertinent question, which is, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> so basically... Uh, who, who are you and what do you do? Yeah, yeah, I can handle that impertinent question. <laughs> I'm a cognitive psychologist and a change coach. So I work with, um, in addition to being a college professor and a school change improvement partner, but the work that I do with coaching is with uh, entrepreneurial women who are high achievers but inexplicably underachieving in something. And so I help them leverage psychological research to make progress. That inexplicably uh, underachieving in something sounds like my inner monologue at all times. <laughs> Why aren't you achieving in this? Uh-huh. Um, so <laughs> You're not alone, my friend. You're not alone. Um, so uh, I wanted to talk to you because you, the first time we met, you described yourself as someone who helps smart people get unstuck. Yeah. And I think that that's so um, relatable um, because I think uh, basically everybody from what I have figured out in terms of people I have met in life has things that they want to do or say they want to do or think they should be doing and just can't figure out how to get over that hump or get out of that rut. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it was really interesting for me to hear that like that's something that you actually focus on. That's sort of like your whole uh, thing. Mm -hmm. So um, what kinds of problems or challenges are people facing when they're coming to you? Yeah. So that all kinds of challenges because it's really the the same general tips and tools work across a multitude of problems. Um, but very often there are people who are have never successfully saved money and are worried they're going to die, you know, alone and broke. Um, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are like, I can't seem to make myself network to get the clients that I want. Um, or I work with a lot of people on productivity, like I can't stop procrastinating. Why can't I get this thing done? So the same tips and tools work across um, those different areas. And mm-hmm. I've worked with people across that spectrum. Totally. Um, and one thing that has occurred to me as you describe it is that a lot of people have those similar feelings about nutrition and exercise. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, we have more language for talking about it in terms of exercising and diet mm-hmm. because those things have been sold to us about like, yeah. you know, you know, power through and set a goal and, you know, all, and we don't always have that language for starting your business or um, being more productive, especially aimed at women because yeah. traditionally women haven't been as much in that space. Right. Although I will say that it's true that we have a lot of language to talk about diet and exercise for those. Things. But, <laughs> but we, it might not be good, is it's what you're not, saying? <laughs> it's certainly not. So there's two separate reasons why it's not good. One is it you know, makes people feel bad about their perfectly good bodies. And on the other side of it is we are sold these packages of tools, right? Like do uh, the South Beach diet. But there's no real... Like there's, it's one thing to say, don't eat these things. It's another thing to say, here's how you can create a life that makes it possible to not eat those things. Totally. So it's, yeah, I think there's more to be said on those as well. Absolutely. So uh, 
when someone is feeling stuck mm-hmm. or like they're in a rut or like they're, you know, they just can't do the thing that they know or feel they're supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. what are the kinds of thoughts and uh, thought patterns that are that are holding us back in those times? Yeah. So I like to talk about the, there are three of them. There are these three mindsets that really keep you from ever engaging in whatever it is. So yeah, because isn't that annoying? It's not even that we're doing it and doing it badly. It's that we're not doing it. And I think that's what, like, starts the guilt cycle. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. In fact, there are, like, two kinds of problems, right? There's the first kind of problem where um, you do whatever it is that you're learning how to do and you sort of suck at it, right? <laughs> yep. Like, that's just how it is when you start something new, right? Like, there's no getting around it, but... That is actually a great problem to have. In fact, I want people to have that problem because that's where you're in it. You're making bad decisions. You're making, running all, doing all these like rookie mistakes, right? Like you have all those great stories to tell after the fact. But there's another kind of problem that actually happens before you're even in the game, It's which is where you'll know if you have this problem, if you have had this experience where you're like, I'm going to work out five times this week, and then it's Friday, and you didn't work out at all. And it feels like very mysterious. Like why I thought I really wanted to work out, but I didn't work out at all. What is happening? What is wrong with me? Right? I'm lazy. I'm uh, bad. Right. Then all the the self-talk nonsense kicks in. And the problem with that is that we usually, if I hear somebody describe that story, I know that one of three mindsets is keeping them out of the game. So like your brain is an efficiency machine, right? So we just, your brain, its job is to keep you focused on a narrow like swath of things to the exclusion of everything else, right? And so your brain is doing all of this work in the, in the background. If you're like, I'm going to work out, but your brain's like, no, you're not. I'm not even going to let you approach it. I'm not even going to waste our valuable self-control and, you know, like willpower on this. And so it just like distracts you for a while with shiny objects and it's suddenly it's Friday and you didn't work out at all. So your brain is actually behind this kind of failure. It's called defensive failure because it's like a defense mechanism. Your brain keeps you from even starting. So typically if I hear somebody describing this kind of pattern, oh, the other version of it is like one is you never get started and the other one is you get started and you just phase out really quickly. It's like I work out once and never again for six weeks and you wake up one day realizing, oh crap, I was gonna work out and I never do. Um, so one of three things is at play in there. And if you struggled with something your whole life, all three are at play. <laughs> Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> so great. The good news is totally, totally surmountable. <clears throat> so I'll just put that out there first. Like, don't, don't be, don't be sad. It's all going <laughs> to work out. Um, so the first of those is, um, the belief that I actually don't think that I can. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of people, when I first say this to them, will say like, I think I can. Of course I think I can. I'm like, okay then. Do you say to yourself, like, I'm just not an exercise person? Some people are exercise people, and I'm just not an exercise person. Or you could say, I'm just not a thrifty person, or I'm just not a zen person, I'm just not a family person, the list goes I'm on I'm just not a good on. auditioner. That's uh, yeah. one that I have said exactly, to myself in right? my acting career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or I'm, just, I'm, I'm not like these other women right. who are at the auditions. Who I'm have different. all these benefits, right? Yeah. So Good right. hair. Good <laughs> Right. Fancy curling irons. Oh, fancy curling irons. Damn them. <laughs> I'm not I'm not a curling iron person, so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I hear you. I hear you. And I I think it's fine. I think your hair looks great. Thank you. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so if you find yourself saying like, some, this is emblematic of a belief that these kinds of things are handed down by like genetics or God or talent, right? Like some people are athletic and some people aren't athletic and secretly deep in your heart, you have no question at all that you could fake it for a while, but you are one of the not athletic types, right? We have this sort of belief that talent and ability is like given to some and not to others, specifically not me, right? And this is actually proven by the brain science to be completely false when it comes to like your ability to do almost everything. In fact, I'll say like, I, I'll say this, I'm speaking my truth to you right now. If any normal person is doing the thing, you can do it too. That's what I always say about half marathons mm -hmm. with myself in the position of the normal person. Yeah. Yep. Because uh, when, you know, when I say to people, which I don't very often because it sounds braggy, but if I say like I've run five half marathons, if any, literally anyone so says to me, I couldn't do that, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh yeah, you could because <laughs> I did. Right. And I am not special when it comes to running. <laughs> no, I am not special when it comes to that. And I did a half marathon too. And I was so delighted by the whole thing because it, it was so against my personal narrative for mm -hmm. a long time. Sure. Um, so that one... I think a lot of people, I, in fact, I know that most people struggle with it. Our schools sort of create it and our culture sort of perpetuates it. Sure. You're such a good, right. you're, you know, you're so good at math instead of you worked really hard at math. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, and like some, you know, oh, you're just, you've always been so athletic or we talk about Michael Jordan as though he were this like natural person who just wandered into the NBA having done no real hard work and, and rose to the top levels without any effort, which there's like, you can Google Michael Jordan and effort. And he has like a million videos talking about how much failure he's gone through to get there. So it's true that like, you know, I'm not in the business of telling people you can be anything you want, right? Like we cannot all be Einstein because Einstein had a weirdly large occipital lobe that processed his visual information. So huh. he could visualize in a much more like depth 3D kind of multifaceted way. Wow. So mom, that's why I'm not Einstein. So get off my case. <laughs> Just kidding. That's right. Joanna's mom. Um, <laughs> my yeah. mom is great. It's It was a joke. <laughs> it's a good one. Thank you. Um, yeah, so we can't all be Michael Jordan or Einstein, but you can certainly calculate the tip without getting at your cell phone, <laughs> right? And you could run a half marathon. We are sitting here, proof of that, that you could be a total nerd or, like, theater geek. You can say nerd. Okay. <laughs> I qualify. All right. And, and do those things because it's just a matter of how you go about doing it, not whether you can go about doing it. So one of the things that gets in your, like, if your brain slash you believe that, like, I just am not talented in this way and, like, some people are and some people aren't, that's going to keep you out of the game for sure. So the second one of the three mindsets is um, I, I, people like me don't do things like this. Mm -hmm. So this one's actually really critical um, and subversive. We don't feel it out loud. We feel it sort of deep in ourselves. So, like, uh, most of your listeners, I'm sure, made it successfully out of adolescence, right? But what happens in adolescence is that, like, you flip that lens right out. It used to be just focused on your family, and now suddenly it's focused on your peers. And what happens is you, like, hold up this mirror, and you're like, am I like this? Am I like this? Am I like this? Am I like this? Right? And you fracture your identity. And then throughout the course of the end of adolescence, you let go of the pieces of your identity that no longer serve you, and it comes back together into a coherent identity that matters to you a lot. It was hard one. It's how you see the world. It's how you understand other people. It is the source of most of the stereotypes that we live with, right? That identity that you hold so dear, it's like, this is what's true about me. 
Now, we think things about, for example, exercise. So when I was um, figuring out how to run a triathlon, which is something I talk about a lot, this sort of like, I totally should never have been my story success that I had. Um, I believed that athletes were, you know, this collection of things, like pretty hardcore, like no sense of humor, sorry, all the athletes. Um, you know, like, not like me in lots of ways. And I was very worried that my friends, like my community of people, would look at me as this traitor if I suddenly, like it would seem to them as though I went to the other side, right? Mm -hmm. And if we, now it can be that you don't want to say it out loud to others, which is what I was just describing, but sometimes even saying it out loud to yourself is the hardest part. So saying like, okay, I'm going to be this thrifty person you know, feels sometimes like it is a risk to your coherent identity. So does saying I'm going to be this athlete, being this entrepreneur, whatever it is. Like if it feels like it in any way or the pieces related to it are put your identity at risk, like your brain's not having it. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I think I have sort of experienced that um, going through my college experience. So I went to a really competitive um, musical theater conservatory. And prior to that time, being really good at singing was like a really critical part of my identity when I was in high school. And I, you know, I got into this great school. So it would naturally follow that that continued to be part of my identity. Um, mm. But turns out that being in a really competitive program can really do a number <laughs> on your <laughs> opinion of your own talent. And um, I'm only, I, you know, I just went back to voice lessons last week for the first time in you know, seven or eight years. And part of what I talked about with my teacher was um, this sort of trying to match where I had gotten to with my sense of self as an adult back with this thing that I used to like and used to be part of my identity as being really good at it. Mm -hmm. um, that I sort of like, as an adult, I have found my group of people, the people like me, mm -hmm. and that fits with a lot of who I am but I hadn't really found mm. a way to fit back in this thing that used to be like a really important part of right. who I was. Right. This is maybe a little bit of an oblique no, connection, no. but I knew it brings exactly really true to me. the story that you were going to tell. And I'm actually going to relate it back to that first mindset, which is yeah. I don't think I can. Because mm -hmm. here's the flip side of that. It's like actually a little bit the darker side of it. Um, if you're a high achiever, what happens very often, this happens a lot in schools, but it happens also to just adults, right? If you have built your identity up over time that you are excellent at singing, mm -hmm. or in my case, at schooling, right? Sure, yep. <laughs> Being the, the number one student in the class. Yeah. Um, it becomes very difficult, and we see a lot of emotional distress among our high achievers when they finally, and sometimes it happens in undergraduate, sometimes it happens in graduate school, sometimes it doesn't happen until your PhD, sometimes it happens when you get out in the world of work. But eventually you reach the point where you realize, oh no, I'm now in water that I can't tread very well. I'm discovering what it's like to struggle. And it causes the high achievers, like total shutdown sometimes. Like yeah. major depressive episodes, like a lot of anxiety. Um, and it's much more difficult for the high achiever to sort of work through that because they've never experienced it before. Mm -hmm. And it actually will keep a lot of high, achiever, high achievers out of their next, like from leveling up from wherever they are. 100%. Because you're like, I cannot handle finding out that that part of my identity is somehow not true. Even yeah. though it's as true as it was the day before, it's just about your comparison effect. Totally. But 
like it just is too scary. In some ways, I think I had to go into comedy because it was a thing I that had never been part of who I was professionally in order to come back around to leveling mm-hmm. up as an actor because mm-hmm. I like couldn't get there from where yep. I had started. Guys, too scary. Yeah, it was too. It was too scary. Yeah, absolutely. I I totally I feel that story. So people like me don't do this. Yep. Um, what's what's the third yeah, uh, mindset? Right. So the third one is sort of has a caveat smack dab in the middle of it, right? So this one is I actually don't want to do it. So the world is full of things that you should do, right? Like you should want to lose 10 pounds so that you look like the people on the like movie screens and right. stuff. Um, you should want to, you know, any number of things like have a bigger list for your business or, you know, have a huge social media following, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, or for some people, like, I should date more. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I should want to watch that TV show. I mean, it comes from everywhere. Like, why I don't I watch read This that Is book. Us? Yeah. Exactly. Right. I hate Shakespeare. <laughs> I am like... How dare you? <laughs> I know! The, and I hang out with the nerds. And mm. we're like, no, no, you love Shakespeare. I'm like, mm, no. I think maybe I don't. I actually <laughs> really dislike it. I have to read it, like, four times to follow out all what's happening. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's a lot of shoulds in the world. And sometimes if you may discover that you actually don't want to do this, you just think you should want to do it. And your brain is totally hip to that game. And then it's like, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Right? Because you're never going to hang in it for the long run. Should, like the should will never carry the brain. Totally. Yeah. Daphne's version of that is willpower doesn't exist, which I think willpower gets used to like talk talk about several different things. But I think in that sense, it's really true that if the only thing keeping you doing it is the sense that you should want to do it or that Mm -hmm. you should do it, it's not going to work. No, it won't work. It worked for a minute and then it will stop working because you have no process around it. Mm -hmm. Now, the caveat sitting in the middle of that, which I was talking about, is that some of those things you should feel like I now give you and all of your listeners permission to like put it in a balloon and let it fly away. Right? If what you're sitting around worrying about is the size of your social media following or like somehow you need to be the skinniest person in your family, like we're just gonna let that go because it's not healthy, it's not helping anyone, right? It's gone. Yeah. However, if it's something that you really do need to do, like everybody really does need to eat some vegetables. Yeah. Everybody needs to ex- exercise at least a little in whatever way makes them feel healthy. Everybody needs to save a little money, right? You have, there are some things that you must do to be successful as an adult. And those things, you really have to do the work of building up the side of interest that you have that's inside of you, that comes from your curiosity and your interest and the way that you perceive your you know, role in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you discover, and you can do that just by like making two lists, like all the reasons why I want to do this, which ones are inside of me, which ones come from outside. If you discover that the outside one's really wrong, then you have to do the work of building up the inside list. Totally. Yeah. I think it's easy to to start from a place of really wanting to do a thing. And then in the process of trying to do it, it's it's easy to forget why you wanted to in the first place. Right. Either because, like, it's hard. Yeah. Or, <laughs> well, it's always hard if it's yeah, worth doing. Totally. Yeah. Um, or because um, it, sh- it morphs and changes along the way and feels a little bit more different from the thing that made you excited in the first place. Mm-hmm. I definitely felt that way about performing um you know at a certain point I sort of forgot like Mm. why did I want to do this what is meaningful about this to me and some of it isn't forgetting some of it is like reacquainting yourself with it as the circumstances of your life change um but I did at some point have to get back to a place and say what about this was meaningful to me and uh you know made me want to do this at a high level 
um, do is what I'm doing now still engaging with those things or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if not, maybe I need to be doing a different thing. Right, exactly. Well, I always say, like, you should not be the boss of you in six months, right? Like, you today does not get to make choices for you in six months because everything changes when you start to do something. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think is really important, one of the things I talk about a lot with my clients is, like, this people talk about do some visioning and then take some action. But really, there's nothing that sharpens your vision any faster than taking action because you realize, wow, that sucks. I don't want to do that anymore. Or like, that was cooler than I thought it was going to be, but it's this part over here and not that part over there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I often say you have to be constantly in the cycle of like, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Right? Like very specifically. And then you have to tell everybody about it so that your brain is primed and their brain is primed. There's a lot to it. But like, Get a really clear vision. Then you start taking action, and that vision will almost immediately become blurry and hazy again. Because your action will reveal things that you didn't know. Because you don't know anything about it yet. You don't do it, right? And so then you have to return to the idea of clarifying what it is you're trying to accomplish. And then take more action. And like that should happen weekly in the beginning when you have no idea what's happening or maybe monthly whatever it is as soon as you feel like your vision has started to get a little blurry Mm -hmm. uh, because you can't expect right like when you were in high school and you were like I'm going to be on Broadway yep right and And the president I had a lot of dreams sure right (laughs) but then like if you ever then you get on a really competitive stage and you're like wow some parts of this are awful what do I think I want like how can I have this while keeping me true to myself? It's not a failure to realize that that part of what you're working towards isn't true to who you are. I definitely had that experience around becoming a research professor. I was like, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a big research professor, and I went through years and years of school to do that, and then realized, oh wait, no judgment. It means I have to like move to Nebraska to make almost no money and teach four classes while being expected to turn out a lot of publications, which mm-hmm. is like the thing that happens when you realize the reality of my competitive world. Totally. Everything's going to be like that. So it's always going to be a question, a dance with yourself where how can I be true to myself and still stay in the spaces that I want to be in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm going to sort of thinking about those three things, I thought mm-hmm. we could sort of look quickly at how they play out in like an exercise example and a sure. non-exercise example. <clears throat> so for an exercise example, since we've already talked about running a half marathon, yeah. we can use that because I think that's a thing that uh, is familiar to a lot of people. Yeah. So in terms of I don't think I actually can, mm-hmm. uh, I don't, like, it seems pretty obvious to me, I don't think I can do it. Like, I don't know if I can do the physical yeah. Like, I don't know if my body can do it. Right. And usually that's because you haven't had any history at all of doing it. Like, I had never exercised, like, at all, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, like, a big part of my identity not to. Sure. And, but it's not as though I was, you know, clueless that I was supposed to be exercising. Mm-hmm. So a few times in the history of my life, I had, like, started a little tiny exercise program and had experienced all that defensive failure where I just, like, thought I would and then didn't or like tried to do it and then overdid it because I had no idea what I was doing I was like I'll go run five miles having never run run <laughs> having never ran at all ever so I think like that one comes from a lifetime of experience of and people telling you those things right if people tell you uh oh you're just not like I can't tell you when I first started running how many people are like I never really saw you as a runner rude right 
Guy, here's a tip. Don't say <laughs> things like that to your friends and loved ones. Right. Or don't tell those people who we all know who they are anyways. Yeah. Like, don't tell them about it, right? Because you don't need that in That's your head. That's true. Don't tell gr- your grumpy cats, whoever That's they right. are for you. That's right. What changes you're making in your life. That's right. That's exactly right. That's totally, don't, don't tell them. They don't need to know. In terms um, of... Uh, people like me don't. So I think mm-hmm. that's, is that sort of like if I, not only is like my identity, but also like my identity within my group of peers, like mm-hmm. maybe all of my friends are like, you know, yeah. video game people and that's right. like kind of what we do. And if I try to do this thing, it might sh- like indicate that I'm different from them yeah. or I'm not part of the group. Right. There's in-group, out-group stuff, mm-hmm. which is like I don't want them to reject me. Like right. we want nothing less in the world than to be rejected by our peer group. Like that's our safety in numbers. Um, but it can also be where there's no reason to believe they will reject you, but you're so worried about even the like hint or sniff of rejection that you stay away from all things that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's just the like, you know, who am I and how? what do I value about myself? And honestly, my sense around people like this don't, people like me don't do things like this is largely about our misunderstanding of other people. So here's the story that I always tell about this. This is my exercise story. So I actually did a triathlon before I did a half marathon. Uh-huh. And so I had to teach myself how to uh, run, which I did first, and swim and bike. And so when I was starting to learn how to ride a bike, which I knew how to like do as a kid with like a banana seat, you know, um, I didn't really know how to do it in any real way. Like, no hills were involved in sure. my history of biking. So I show up at the bike shop, and there there was this group of men, like 50, 40, 50-year-old 40, 40, men, wearing a whole lot of spandex. Yes. With, like, with the butt thing that yep. you do when you ride a bike. If you take spinning, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and I was like, oh, no, this is going to be bad. Right? right? Like, I don't – these are not my people. Like, I'm not going to have anything to talk to them about. And – the good news is, in that moment, that actually wasn't the group that I was riding with. Like, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, over here, standing against the wall, were like a bunch of regular people with their hybrid bikes and like a lovely woman who I'm still very good friends with, um, re- leading this joy ride, she called it. And it was just like, let's ride around Montclair where we live. Um, it was great. And I realized, oh, wait, first of all, I realized in that moment, people ride bikes a broad swath of people ride bikes. Those mm-hmm. guys do, but so do these people. And some people are just as disinterested in tall hills as I am. <laughs> and all they really want to do is talk the whole time we ride our bikes. Totally. So, like, I needed to have my understanding of people like me broadened to include them. Mm-hmm. And the good news over the long term is that actually those guys who, with, with all the spandex, were actually really nice. Sure. And our rides um, start at the same time always. And... They actually invited me when I got a little bit better to join the woman's version of that ride. And I, I would totally, I mean, I misunderstood them. Yeah. They're just lovely family people who happen to wear clippy shoes and a lot of spandex. Because mm-hmm. really you need to if you're going to yeah. ride at 45 miles an hour. Right. Or whatever they ride very fast. Not me. <laughs> so so mm-hmm. I think regardless of it, our understanding of people like me is often very narrow. And we're not... Part of what, what I tell people to do in terms of tips, right, is to go find somebody who you totally unequivocally believe is like you, mm-hmm. but who does things like this, and talk to them about your concerns, and I think you'll it will resolve a lot of it. Yeah. Also, hi, normal people. Sort of the entire point of me doing this podcast is so that I can be that person for you, or one of those people for you who is, like, not uh, super sporty or any mm. of those things and is still, like you know, 
doing it doing these things so hello I can be part of your people. She's your leader. <laughs> or at least guide from the side. There you go. Um, guide from the side. <laughs> and then the last one, I don't really want to. I think it's pretty easy to think about how that would apply to running 13 miles. Um, yeah. Like, exactly. you know, it's pretty easy not to want to do that. Yeah. Well, and you don't have to do that, too. That's the other thing. Totally. Like, this, this, that's actually a really good sort of, like, subversive example. Because it's like, people are like, oh, if I'm going to be a runner, that means I want to run 13 miles. Yeah. It doesn't at all. In fact, I never want to do it again. You did it five times, so like I might be done. <laughs> you you might love it in your heart of hearts. And I was so bored after like two hours. Yeah. Like, are we still running? Like, this is too much for me. My when I told my sister I was running my first one, I was like, yeah, and you know, it starts near my house and it ends at Coney Island, so I think it's gonna uh-huh. be fun. She goes, it's not gonna be fun. <laughs> You're gonna be running for three hours. <laughs> I was like, cool. Yeah. You're not wrong. (laughs) No, she's not wrong. And I, you know, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm still a fairly, like, I I consider myself kind of an endurance athlete, if I'm an athlete at all, right? Mm -hmm. Um, An endurance athlete. Because I I can't run fast. I don't have those fast twitch muscles. But I can run, I can do things for a really long time Mm -hmm. if I'm not bored. But I have no problem being like, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. Triathlon, on the other hand, is awesome because you swim in the ocean, which is amazing and terrifying right which is half the point for me like I love that new experience and then you ride your bike for like 10 or 12 miles and then you run for three and it's always stop it's always changing and I don't know it's Mm -hmm. really like a good so I can be people like me who do things like this because I really want to be healthy and I find those physical um those physical challenges energizing Mm -hmm. but I don't have to do it I don't have to run 13 miles so when you're like I don't really want to exercise at all. Mm-hmm. Part of that also is that you haven't really found the thing that you do want to do. And you yeah. don't have to run 13 miles. Yeah. Nobody's making you. And in fact, it's kind of a crazy thing to do. It's yeah. really hard on your body. Yeah. And then is looking, going away from the world of exercise and looking yeah. at the world of work or mm-hmm. of um, starting your own business or right. something like that, yeah. um, these same blocks yep. in our brain can get in the way. So mm-hmm. in terms of like, not thinking that you can get your clients right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's a really big one that i work with a lot of people trying to help them get their clients yeah um and part of that is networking and part of that is selling right totally right so people people are terrified of both of those things um and so if you're and I think a lot, like, for example, let's just talk about the networking piece of it. Like, I can't bring myself to, like, go out and, like, leverage my network and ask people for things and go to these events, this room full of strangers, right? Yeah. So there's the, I don't think I can. There's all the usual stuff. Like, I'm just, like, I'm actually an introverted person. Totally, 100%. Like, the end of the day, like, y'all need to leave me alone, right? So I totally get that. But that doesn't mean that you're not a, you know, being introverted is not the same as shy. And there's nothing wrong with being shy. But it isn't the same as being shy. So if you aren't shy, you can't hide behind introversion for the reason why you can't enter a room. And so it's a little bit about um, the I don't think I can because I'm just not the kind of person who connects really well with other people. I can't, This is the one I hear a lot. I'm just not the kind of person who can do small talk. Uh-huh. Right? It's like actually nobody wants to talk small with no. you. Nope. And in fact, if you're going into a networking room, the thing you have to do is connect deeply with three people mm-hmm. and have and be ready to connect with them outside of that room, follow up with them. Like, that's it. So again, it's kind of like a combination of the two because they're like, oh, I, I'm just not the per- kind of person who does that. But they're totally wrong about what that is. Yeah. 
And the thing that they have set themselves against is not what it really is. Mm-hmm. And again, it's all about like you don't get to be the boss of you in six months. Like you today does not get to boss you around in six months when you actually know something about it. Mm-hmm. So uh, the second one, people like me don't do things like this. Um, sales is a really good example of that. Right. People like me, helpers, mm-hmm. you know, like I am a coach because I love to help people make transformation, right? I love nothing more in the world, and I really would do it for free if we didn't live in a world of money. Or you have to pay for things. Exactly. Money. We live in New York City. Mm-hmm. Like, things cost money. Uh, and so, like, in my heart of hearts, people like me are, like, love warriors, right? Like, we just want to help people. It feels so icky to be like, okay, and that's going to cost you. How totally. How going to cost you? And so people like me don't do things like this as a real, like you can't have a business if you can't sell yourself. You just can't. You'll just be like the having the worst hobby ever, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like coaching for $25 an hour <laughs> or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which most of the coaches I start out working with, like that's where they're at. They have two clients and they pay them nothing at all, yeah. practically. And so that one is one where you have to really, you have to broaden your identity to understand that there's more to being in a relationship with somebody than just being capable of helping them. It's helping that person really make a commitment and investment in themselves, right? It's like changing the story, the narrative around what you're doing when you're selling so that it is, again, it's about growing the identity to fit the thing you need it to do. Mm-hmm. And that's not inauthentic. It's, I don't, I never ever hard sell because I I don't think it works, first of all. And second of all, like, I could never live with myself. Yeah. I pressured somebody into working with me. And then, frankly, they don't want to work with you for the next six months, and that would suck. Yeah. Right? So instead, I found a way to help myself and others, my clients, like, sell in a way that's actually very beneficial to the person they're trying to sell. Totally. You have to broaden your identity so that you're able to do that. Mm-hmm. And in <clears> terms <throat> of I don't really want to, yeah. I think it's easier to think about that in terms of, like, specific parts of starting your own business than, like, Mm -hmm. wanting to start the business. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. Like, it's very um, complex Mm -hmm. in the sense that, yes, they don't want to sell. They don't want to network. Maybe they don't – maybe they have a lot of baggage around creation, right, Mm -hmm. content creation or video creation or whatever they need to do to create their, like, content. People get – have a lot of baggage about putting their creative work out there. They really don't want to, but really they want to, but really they don't want to, right? They're stuck in that cycle. Uh, and then there's also a lot of a lot of the people who left to start their own business left it because the corporate world was crushing their soul. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, I have to work a thousand hours a week. I never have any free time. I don't see my family. My children are growing up without me. And globally, in terms of starting your business, what I found is that um, a lot of the clients that I work with, they don't, they're terrified of going all in on their business because they know who they are, they're high achiever, like go big or go home, and they're terrified their life is going to get sucked back up into this, and then they have no one even to blame. Because before right. they could blame their boss, and now they're their own boss, and they're terrified that they're going to, you know, and so that one really is about like other things beyond just the mindset. That mindset will shut you down. It will keep you from going to the networking event. It will sabotage your sales conversations. But it isn't, um, you know, it doesn't have to be like that, right? Yeah. Just change what it is you're hoping to accomplish. Put the boundaries around it so that you're like, I want to have work-life balance alongside this business that I'm working on. Totally. So. Um, well, let's let's talk tips. Let's talk uh, tips. <laughs> I think at this point probably, hopefully everyone listening has found something to relate to in terms of the, the blocks that, that keep us 
in these ruts. Um, mm-hmm. So let's get out of our ruts uh, yeah. with um, some tips. And you have the way that you have this sort of like delineated, there's like a tip for each sort mindset. of like mindset, yeah. right? Yeah. So if yeah. we want to start with the like, I don't actually think I can. Yeah. So this one is really, um, I can't tell you how resistant people are, but they should just listen to me. Just listen to me. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. Um, so this one is you have to take the smallest possible first step. If you say, I'm going to go run this week, and some part of your heart is like, <clears throat> right? You haven't found the real first step yet, right? Sometimes the first step is literally say it out loud to another human. Mm-hmm. Or if that feels terrifying, you could just write it in your journal, right? Like whatever the thing is that just advances you without any overwhelm. Because this one comes straight out of our sort of our upbringing and our culture and the belief that that talent is what drives success. And we're so terrified that people are going to say, you're not an athlete. And then all of your self-doubt and imposter syndrome and stuff flares up and you get overwhelmed. And overwhelm throws the brakes on change. That's just how it works. So for this one, I want you to be like obnoxiously, outrageously sensitive and careful with yourself. Take the smallest possible first step. And as soon as you do it right, like you go downstairs and you're like, uh, hey, my husband's name is David. Hey, David. Uh, I think I might actually start working, um, start working out. And then he says, wow, that's great. Because if you have a good husband, that's what he says. Right, of course. And then you say, okay, peace out. I'm going to go <laughs> celebrate in the bathtub. I'm going to have a bubble bath and I have some wine and candles. Like, throw yourself a party. Because you took the first step and now you realize that that didn't hurt you. Yeah. Right? And then the next little step. In the, and for, um, for running, it's great because you have couch to 5K programs that, like, take you through that little tiny step by step. Um, there are a lot of programs. And writing... Uh, there are a good number of writing programs. Well, anyways, it doesn't matter. There's lots of different programs that can help you figure out what a small step is. Mm-hmm. But my point is take the tiniest. And I hear I, there's some brains out there saying, I'm never going to make it with taking steps that small, Amanda. But <laughs> I'm here to tell you that the smallest possible next step gets bigger over time. You know? And so for me, the next step for me is to do a triathlon that has a slightly longer swim. But, like, doing a triathlon is a really big thing, yeah. right? But only it's small for me because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at this point, and you're, like, that point. You're just getting started. So, first of all, no judgment. Don't, do not compare yourself to other people because you don't know what they've already brought themselves through to be there, and you haven't done that yet. And also, don't judge your teeny tiny steps because over time they will get a lot bigger, a lot faster. Yeah. And then, honestly, it's the fastest path to transformation. It's, the, it's like, people are like, this is going to take forever. It's like, no, it's going to take, it's going to be the fastest thing you've ever experienced. Because mm-hmm. you're not in your way. You're not yeah. stopping yourself. And it just doesn't feel so big. I mean, yeah. you know, my husband uses this sort of planning in his business, which is like totally different from mm-hmm. mine. You know, he mm-hmm. is a developer and graphic designer, mm-hmm. but he still breaks everything that he's going to do into really small steps. Yep. Um, I do the same thing in terms of like, all right, I want to like level up in my career. What does that mean? That means, you mm-hmm. know, getting a legit agent. Okay. So like, what is the smaller step that I can actually do? It took me years of taking no steps. Mm-hmm. Right. And getting nowhere. Exactly. You don't get anywhere if you don't uh, go anywhere. And then I said, well, like, okay, there's this class that, you know, a bunch of my friends have taken to get a commercial agent and, you know, it's a bunch of money, but, you know, mm-hmm. I'm just going to sign up for this class and then I just have to go to the class and, like, that's it. The mm-hmm. class is the is the step. Yep. And, like, turns out out of that, I, like, got an agent and, like, 
you know, within 18 months, like, booked a commercial. Ta-da. And, like, you know, if you had told me seven years ago all it's going to take is going to this class, mm-hmm. I mean, that's not all it took. It also took everything else I right? had already done. Yeah, of course. But that, you know, and it doesn't have to be, like, shell out a bunch of money for a class. But the whole, like, uh, I'm, I can't run because... And sometimes you can find your list of mm-hmm. um, steps from your excuses. Yeah. I can't run because I don't have shoes. Go okay, buy shoes. well, go buy some shoes. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, I can't, yeah. you know, start my business because, um, you know, I don't... I don't have the time. I don't have the time. Find the time for one client. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. And I find that um, with this one, as you take teeny tiny steps... It's so freeing and exciting that all you really want to do is take more steps. And also, like, here's the thing that I discovered that I was shocked the first time it happened, and then it happened over and over and over again. I was such a novice at anything, like, exercise that I was like, you know, it took a lot of courage, but I started to open up to other people and tell them, like, I'm trying to do this thing, and, and can you give me any advice? And, and they did, because people are nice, and they want to help you, because they love it, and they want you to love it, too. Um, that makes them feel good. And so it was not three months before people were asking me for advice. Totally. On this thing that I had struggled with. I was like, how can you be asking me for advice on running? For like 15 straight years, I talked about how I would only run if a bear was chasing me. Like, how am I? But it turns out it's not that hard to do what normal people do. The secret is you just have to get started. Totally. And the real secret is... That you have to get started in the smallest, most obnoxiously small way you possibly can. Absolutely. Which well, is the tip. This <laughs> leads really well, I think, into your second tip, which goes with the sort of like, people like me don't do mm. this block. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what's your tip for, yeah. for people like me? People like me don't do things like this. So I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but it's worth repeating. It is you have to find someone like you who does this right? Because even though we know those people exist, we secretly think there must be some sort of like Superman situation going on. Like, <laughs> I know that you're all, you're kind of a math nerd like mm-hmm. me, but you run. So there must be some like secret, you must be from Bolivia. I don't know. Or Nigeria, like where people, everybody runs, we think, in our totally uninformed heads, right? And so what we really need to do is to rehumanize the person who's just like us and doing things like this and ask them our questions. Really explore those stereotypes that you're holding about whatever it is. And so in the example of exercising, right, I needed to go find a group of people who were closer like me and really get to know them and then go talk to the A writers. That was the group of men with the spandex and get to know them too and realize, oh, they also talk about the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somehow we're like, oh, they must be totally different from me because they do this thing I find so hard. Yeah. And as far as like being a networker or being like being salesy, I mean, I finally had to get a coach. Yeah. I paid my coach a, forgive me, ton of money. You can bleep it out. Because I was like, I need someone like me to teach me how to be like that. Yeah. Sometimes uh, having a coach who becomes that person that you talk to about those things is like the way to see your way over the hedge, right? Like, because that person's already standing up and looking over the hedge. There's no hedge for them. It's just Mm -hmm. like a, you're just boop. Um, But for you, it's such a major hurdle. And having that person, whether it's your friend or your coach, explaining to you that like, all your negative self-talk is wrong. And I don't believe that story about you. I think you're awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know a lot of people who try to do this, and you're totally capable of it, is a way to realize people like me, a.k.a. you, do things like this. 
and you've helped me resolve a lot of the risk I feel to my identity. Mm -hmm. And then you can get down to step one, which is take the first small step. Yeah. So then going on to tip three to help uh, deal with the I don't really want to yeah. syndrome. <laughs> it's a big one. Um, yeah. This is one of my favorites, actually, um, because it opens up such a – it's like I, I feel so sorry for people like me. <laughs> Five years ago, like all the high achievers who've put themselves in a box and will not let themselves out into space where they could fail. Um, because what I would have you do is like first find out if you've got this problem, which is the thing I was talking about where you write all your reasons and you line them up. Is it inside of me? Is it outside of me? Intrinsic motivation, extrinsic motivation, it's called. Um, once you realize that you have this problem, then you get to have uh, you get to go through the process of getting really curious about whatever it is. And I remember when I first started exercising, I was I had no interest in any of this up until this moment. So I had to go create a bunch of interest in it. And I learned that there's like a lot of <laughs> Daphne's gonna be like, uh <laughs> she's, she's never like, uh, oh really? <laughs> which is a blessing for me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, there's a lot of science involved in exercise. <laughs> And it turns out that when you're running for the first time, like part of the reason you can't just run for five miles, having never done it before, is because your body is not equipped to warm you all the way out to the tips of your fingers and stuff. So new blood vessels grow out into the tips of your fingers to help carry the oxygen to the to extremities of your body. What are you talking about? <laughs> that is so interesting. I'm going to grow new stuff in my fingers? I know. It's like the day I learned about neuroplasticity. I was like, you can make new things happen in your brain. <laughs> it was it was just that moment all over again, which was mm -hmm. a very exciting moment for me. So you get to go, like, you have to go find out. Like, if, if, like, millions of people love it, there's something interesting about it. Humans hate being bored. So if the thing is boring, they're not doing it, right? And so there's all kinds of, go look at the magazines, right? Like go get Runner's World or go get the Fortune or Forbes or whatever the entrepreneur version of it is and read about the things that people are grappling with and thinking about what that community is worried about right now, how they're thinking about it. And you will find, I guarantee no matter who you are, you'll find something that captivates your interest and then suddenly you have something on the other side of your list. Even sports, which I'm totally against. Like, <laughs> I've no, my husband's a big sports guy, but he's, he, you know, valiantly for the last 14 years has been trying to get me interested in a single sport. Finally, I, I actually started asking questions about the statistics in bat, uh, baseball. Mm -hmm. And I, feel, I think he, like, smelled blood, so now we talk about it a lot because he's trying to get that. Because once your interest is involved, then you're drawn to it. It becomes a magnet to you. Like you stop and look at the magazine and then you have something to talk to these people like you who you discover do things like this mm -hmm. about. And the whole thing sort of starts to roll towards, you know, through the small steps, through actually accomplishing this goal that felt totally insurmountable before you got started. Totally. Yeah, that finding, like finding what the hook is for you, I think is such a mm -hmm. smart, um, such a smart idea. Um, because it, it can't just be sort of like generalized interesting. It has to be yeah. interesting to you. Right. And that's going to be different for every person. Like 
the thing you just said about like the blood vessels is cool, but like I'm not particularly a science person, so that wouldn't have been right. my hook. Exactly. Um, but I am an emotions person, ah. like 100%. So the Olympics mm. gets me hooked every time because I get so hooked into these like stories of mm-hmm. like hardship and achievement and all that stuff. And like, you know, I'm the person who like, you know, stands there cheering for marathoners and just like weeping on the <laughs> sidelines because because I love feelings. And so yeah. like feelings are like the hook into yeah. it for me. But <laughs> I'm sure other people are like, that's crazy yeah I totally agree with you and exactly that's exactly right like there's and this is part of it right like we've been spending so if it's something you struggled with forever and ever then you have a lot of head trash about it (laughs) you know I don't like it for the right reasons I'm not the kind of person who does that I'll never be able to run a marathon and it's all a bunch of junk yeah right it really is about like do you want to run a marathon then don't worry about it right you just want to be able to you know walk climb a mountain that when you're in your 60s or whatever whatever it is you are actually interested in but we think if I'm not interested this is a good one for this tip it's like you don't have to be interested in any of the things that everybody else is interested in yeah because actually there's a whole group of people with Facebook groups and websites and magazines and blog posts all about the tiny little piece of it that you love Mm -hmm. that's the blessing of being in this time and space of our lives where like you can find no matter how small your tribe is, you can find them. Totally. Yeah. Um, well, this is all super interesting and helpful. Uh-huh. And I want to take it back to sort of like uh, a meta question, mm-hmm. I guess, which is that um, when I was reading about you and the work that you do, I was really interested in like how you came to this being your specialty because a lot of these things as we're talking through feel really intuitive, right? right. Because we as soon as you describe it, it's like, oh yeah, like I've felt that. Like, and, and of course, like, of course it makes sense to like do these things, but like you, uh, have like, you're a doctor and have like the science and like, in, you know, yeah. uh, uh, evidence. A PhD to, like, doctor, not a medical doctor. Right. Well, it still counts. <laughs> uh, and yes, so true. how do you, I guess my question as a feelings person is like, how do you get at these mm-hmm. things from like the science side or the research side instead of just talking about like what feels Mm -hmm. good because I'm on like the squishy feely side. Um, So I am a cognitive psychologist and so my PhD is in what's called situated cognition and that is like how does cognition differ in different contexts, Mm -hmm. different situations. And so I was focused a lot on argumentation in the classroom. So specifically this kind of communication and specifically that environment. And so for, um, I've been interested for a really long time in how the brain sort of goes about making it possible for us to overcome obstacles. And so a lot of stuff around motivation um, and mindsets in classrooms, like how do we re-engage students was, was my area of interest. And then, um, after my postdoc, I decided to come back to New York City to work for the School Improvement Partnership Organization, Escolta School Research and Design, and they work with schools in New York City to help them make sustainable change. And that is really where the change management side of things came from. And what's interesting is, it all come, for me, of course, because I'm a psychologist, you're a feelings person, and I'm a brain person, mm-hmm. um, a thinky person. To me, it always comes back to, like, human beings make change the same way if they're going to do it effectively. And so what I kept looking for another way to make change Mm -hmm. beyond like small movements, handling your head trash, like you can make change to a manufacturing plant 
with exactly these steps. And in fact, if you ever heard of like Toyota Kata or Kanban manufacturing, same thing. Agile project management, which your husband is probably doing, mm -hmm. same thing. Quality improvement in healthcare, totally the same thing. Improvement in science and education, it's the same thing. It's all the same thing. And it makes sense because it dovetails with your situated cognition, mm -hmm. with the way in which you go about thinking about yourself, constructing an identity, interfacing with your environment to make change. So I became, I think obsessed is probably the right word, <laughs> with how you go about making these, change, what, these changes when I realized after I'd had two children and not like three years, and I, and I reached down to pick up one of my kids' toys and I got like stuck there because my back was a mess. And I was like, oh my God, is this my life? And I realized like I have to change my life because I either have to accept that this is my life or I need to start changing things I never thought were changeable at all. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started using the tools of improvement science and design thinking to change my own life. And like I did, I told you, like mm -hmm. I figured out how to run a triathlon. I was also, it reminds me of your theater stuff, right? Your, your singing stuff. All I wanted was to be a writer. I just wanted to be a writer. And I was so terrified that someone would read it and say, you're not a writer, Yeah. that I never sent anything anywhere. And since then, I've managed to transform that as well. And I'm a published author. Uh, I'm working on a book. Awesome. Ryan, thank you. I'm very excited about it. Um, I also, we were in um, a lot of graduate students, don't make a lot of money. We were in yeah. deep debt. Um, and over the course of it, we've now paid off all of our credit cards. And I've and it's like, it's, that sounds like there was no magic wand. Yeah. One of the tools people download from my website the most is this grocery store planner. Because it was like, I keep buying dinner because I'm not ready to make dinner. Mm -hmm. And so like, there's like a whole thing on my website. I can give it to you to link it to it in the notes. It's like a whole thing about how we got to the place where we're at right now. And, it, and this is, gets back to your what feels right thing. Mm -hmm. It isn't about... If you don't have a grocery store problem, then you don't need this. Right. But if you have a grocery store problem, it's worth thinking through not where we ended up and using the tool, although a lot of people like it. It's more about like watching how you adjust your environment to make it easy for you to do this. So we ended up with this ridiculous grocery store list that's laid out like our grocery store. Yeah. And um, how we decided what everybody's having for lunch and what everybody's having for dinner and like then translate it to the list that's in the it's and it's cool right but the point isn't the tool the point is it is about what works for you totally. and letting go of all of these beliefs like one of the things that bugs me the most about the world <laughs> is that there are all these solution providers uh -huh. right like they package it into a diet yeah. or dave ramsey's money makeover mm -hmm. but and then they're like here's 17 things you need to do I'm not going to help you figure out how to start doing any of them. Yeah. And then I'm going to blame you for not being able to follow my absurdly complicated system. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that that's really just a change package. That each of one of which needs to be evaluated against, do you have this problem? And is that particular version of handling it going to work for you? Or is it just information that you use to help you figure out what the best step is for you? Mm -hmm. So... I became, like I said, kind of obsessed with change management, especially when I realized that the reason everybody does it the same way is because human nature requires it to be so. And then I was like, oh, now I'm back in my, in my ballpark. <laughs> um, so that's kind of how, and to me, the research is all about, um, 
there's the stuff around the, the mindsets. That's like psychological research. And then there's just stuff around like how do we see actual trade, like when you start looking at the stories of how do businesses, hospitals, schools, etc., like actually go from really bad to really good. If you ever see a story like that, I can guarantee you without you sending it to me that what they did was some version of this. It is just what works. Yeah. yeah. The, the idea that like the brain just works in certain <laughs> ways yeah. because of how it's put together. And so there are going to be certain techniques that work mm -hmm. because of how the brain is made makes a lot of sense to me. Yes. Uh, totally. Uh, well, if people want to find out more about your work um, and follow along, or if they want to reach out to you about coaching, or if they just want to find you yeah. on the internet, yep. I assume that's the best place to look for you. Where should they go? <laughs> yeah, I am on the internet. So um, <laughs> Amanda Crowell, it's, and it sh looks like it should be Crowell. I guess you'll link to it. Amanda, yeah, I'll link to it in the show notes. Okay. So this, I have a handout that walks through the different mindsets and the tips that you could use to take notes on if you wanted to while you were listening to this podcast episode, which I'm sure you listen to on repeat because her podcast <laughs> is so great. Stop. <laughs> um, that's at amandacroll.com front slash just one more, all one word. Um, and that's a way to, to find me. And then you can poke around on the website at all the different stuff. I also have a Facebook page, um, which is facebook.com front slash Changemakers Unite. Or you could just search for Amanda Kroll um, and look for the, the page version of me. Cool. And Kroll is C-R-O-W-E-L-L. -L. Yes, it is. For some reason, that is very hard for me to say. For everyone. The, the letters. I can't tell you how many times I have to spell it to the person on the t like, trying to make a hotel reservation. <laughs> Three times I'll have to spell it, and she'll be like, oh, you mean Crowell. I'm like, no, yeah. it's my name, but that's right. fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's my husband's name, so I just accept it. Ah, uh, there you go. Yeah, um, it's part of loving him. Well, Dr. Amanda Kroll, yeah. thanks so much for talking to it us. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Just One More with Joanna and Daphne. Our show is hosted by Daphne Yang and me, Joanna Shawflam. We're produced and edited by me. Our theme music is by Hannah vs. The Many, who you can hear at hannahvsthemany.com. We'll be back next week. You can make sure you don't miss an episode by subscribing to Just One More on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, or whatever you use to listen to podcasts. For show notes and help subscribing, you can go to our website, justonemorepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Just One More Pod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash justonemorepodcast, or you can email us at info at justonemorepodcast.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>